You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer and NC Insider political podcast. I am Don Vaughn. I'm Danielle Battaglia. I'm Will Doran. And I'm Colin Campbell. And today we are going to talk about government regulation. Woo! (laughs) Let's go with the fun version. (laughs) Uh, Alcohol and firearms. That's what I'm talking about. Liquor and guns. (laughs) So um, the news factor here is, uh, well, Colin just is writing about this today. Tell us what's going on with the liquor regulation. Yeah, so if you remember last summer in the heat of the legislative session, Uh, A very interesting proposal surfaced and then disappeared, and that was to privatize all the state's liquor stores, closing all the government-run ABC stores, closing down the big state-run warehouse where all the liquor bottles come from, and letting private industry take over so that any random business owner uh, could have liquor you could probably buy at the grocery store. Um, So that surfaced. Um, It was the first time that that idea actually made it to a committee hearing. Uh, but then that was the last we heard of it. It's been quiet ever since. So I went and decided to check in on it because there had been some talk that it might come back up uh, this year in the short session. Um, and the answer is no, not yet. Um, there's a possibility that it could be legislation in 2021. Uh, but right now the problem is just the like in crazy entanglement of uh, revenues that come out of the ABC system. Like the money is used by a bunch of different government entities for a bunch of different things. And so in order to get uh, privatization passed without local cities and towns and counties getting real mad about it because they're losing money, uh, you have to figure out a formula uh, where the liquor from the private stores is taxed in enough of a way that uh, these local governments still get the same amount of money or more money. And so that's the formula they're trying to figure out and they haven't been able to figure out. Um, but what's interesting is they seem to have gotten to the point where the uh, proponents of the change, uh, particularly Representative Chuck McGrady, who's been sort of the alcohol czar of the, the state house, uh, says that the religious right and the um, ABC board type interests are no longer as powerful as they once were. So there's less of a religious or sort of moral objection to the um, privatization of ABC system than there was a few years back. And now it's just a matter of like making the numbers work so that nobody loses money. I wonder if people really realize like kind of the mix of federal, state, and local laws around alcohol differ state to state. Because I moved here from Virginia and was surprised at this whole, if it's a bar, you have to be a member of the club. And, well, you know more about that, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, growing up in Florida, we had like drive through liquor stores. Kentucky um, has those, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you go to South Carolina <laughs> and, yeah, the liquor stores are private. So they've got like weird looking names like, you know sit beverage or something. You can buy liquor at the gas station, I think, in West Virginia. I remember being like, what? Yeah, what's that doing here? (laughs) Jack Daniels. But the the taxation angle is really interesting, uh, Colin. I I remember reading um, a few months ago, North Carolina has, I think, one of, like, the lowest per capita liquor consumptions in the country. Like, we don't drink all that much liquor compared to other states, but we have one of the highest liquor tax revenues. Because, you know, it's just a state-run monopoly, so they can charge just outrageous prices and how they are, make all this money. Well, how and do our taxes stand up? Like, how much higher are they than other states? Uh, we, we have a higher higher uh, taxes on liquor and also just higher liquor prices in general than a lot of other states, um, especially on the pricing side because there's zero competition. You know, if we were to privatize things or 
go to kind of like a, there's a semi-private model called like a licensure model uh, that people talk about that we've uh, heard, you know, thrown back and forth from North Carolina. But, you know, obviously if you let private businesses get involved, then prices go down because there's competition. I mean, anyone who's ever traveled outside of North Carolina and gone to a liquor store in some other state knows that, you know, our liquor prices are way higher than other states. Or if there's a shortage, they all go up. Well, sure. I mean, I'm just rate. saying, like, yeah, they don't necessarily go down. It kind of depends on the agreement of all the sellers. Or so what they right want now, to. we need to hop the border if we want to pay less. Yeah, take a road trip to South Carolina and guess how much gas you're spending. I guess in that whole process. So, do you think people in North Carolina consume less liquor because of the cost of it, or that's just not what they choose versus some other state? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. Why yeah. we have lower consumption rates? It's probably a mix of the cost and the, you know, obviously we're part of the Bible Belt here. There's a lot of people who are just opposed to liquor in general. Yeah. We still have some straight up dry counties, like Graham County in the mountains, I think is one of like the last places where you can buy no forms of drinks, but then there are other mm-hmm. counties where you can buy like beer and wine, but they don't allow for liquor stores or they don't allow uh, mixed drinks at restaurants and bars. Yeah, or there's like some some dry cities, you know, where maybe if you live out in county limits, you can buy something at a gas station in the boonies, but you can't buy it in, you know, city limits or whatever. Remember the brunch bill a couple of years ago? I, I covered that when Durham pass. City Council passed it. And all I think I think all the cities have to go through and pass it. Yeah, I remember it was, right? just, you know, it, we were running the roundup in the insider of all the towns that had decided one way or the other, and it became so cumbersome because it was like every single municipality, every single county commission in the state had to have this debate about should you be able to buy mimosa at 10 a.m. or noon on Sundays? And mm-hmm. so now it's a patchwork of that as far as, you know, what you can do and what you can't do. And there's a still, I think, in this whole liquor privatization debate, um, a big theme of it is local control. The league of municipalities wants to keep a system wherein if you're a county commission or a city council that doesn't want an ABC store, that doesn't want a liquor store, doesn't want a certain type, uh, you still have that option to go through that, have the referendum process, and you can be as dry or as wet as you want to be. The Sunday thing confused me when I moved from Virginia because I had no idea that was a thing until this probably 80-year-old woman was trying to buy a margarita mix from Food Lion. She was in front of me, and it was 11.58, and they made her wait till 12 o'clock to sell it to her, and she was so apologetic to me. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it probably doesn't occur to most people. I, I don't think I've ever bought alcohol on a Sunday morning, so it never came up. you know. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is a thing. Well, you know, you're, you're getting ready for the football game. You want to go out. Football's not on Sunday. Not college. Real football <laughs> isn't on Sunday. It's on Saturday. We do have an NFL team here in North Carolina. <laughs> we have lots of college teams, too. <laughs> well, the other thing, I've, in reporting this, I realized the degree to which uh, people are really intense about, like, rare and locally produced liquor now that they might not have been five or ten years ago when, like, craft cocktails were not as big of a deal as they are. So like- It's gotten fancy. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason I got re-interested in this topic was I was trying to go to the ABC store two days before Christmas to get my wife a uh, Christmas gift because she wanted some like nice rum or something. And I went to two different stores and there was a massive line. So I was like, oh, it's, you know, two days before Christmas, that, you know, my bad. But also there's not that many stores to choose from. So everyone's going to the same, you know, few places in and around Raleigh. Come to find out later, the reason that it was so packed was not so much just that everybody wanted to get their last minute booze fix before Christmas. It was that the Wake County ABC board had a special distribution of rare bourbon 
that people were lining up for when they opened their doors. Oh, it's like the trophy line in the middle of the day. (laughs) Yeah, all the like aficionados are out there trying to get something that, you know, you couldn't otherwise get, which was the situation that prompted this interesting quote in my story from Andy Allen, who's head of the Retail Merchants Association, saying this is like, harkens back to like the rationing of the Soviet Union. And his (laughs) argument is that, you know, you go to South Carolina where they're private stores, you don't have that problem. There's not a lottery you have to enter to buy a special kind of bourbon. You just go to the store and you get it. Right. Um, the ABC boards have been pushing back by saying, hey, if it's scarce, it's going to be scarce everywhere. It's not about our system versus another state. I mean, generally, North Carolina, I think, likes to consider itself like above South Carolina, at least on a... Um you know, vertical map. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think we need to try to get any more like South Carolina for a variety of things. But yeah, and there's some nuance to I've heard comments made that the, what's being proposed in North Carolina is still more control-oriented for liquor sales than what South Carolina has. I haven't dug into the exact details of how much South Carolina is the Wild West, but I can imagine they, given the number of liquor stores I've seen going to my in-law's house in Greenville, South Carolina, um, I'm guessing they've uh, make it a lot easier to open a liquor store than it would be if you tried it here. Yeah, that, that's what I've heard from talking to uh, to Representative McGrady, like you mentioned earlier, is that he doesn't necessarily want the completely, you know, free market model that some other states have. He thinks that might be a little too far for some people to support, but there's that kind of middle option where the state still retains some control over, you know, who gets to sell liquor, but doesn't really have control over prices and or necessarily like the hours that they're open and things like that that yeah. can kind of be left up to the market to decide I mean, as close as we have to private liquor stores now is the distilleries where you can go and buy a couple bottles as well, long as it's what they yeah do. and even that has really changed in the last couple of years i mean it used to be you couldn't buy any alcohol at the directly from the distillery at all and then they changed it so that like one person could buy one bottle per year, really, really small limit. Then they kind of, you know, been bumping that up and up and up. And they've, you know, been loosening the laws on like letting distilleries have like tasting events, like you might have at a winery, which used to be, you know, not allowed in our liquor stores here. So it's it's been this kind of slow creep, um, especially on kind of the craft distillery level, that I think a lot of people have been able to make the you know, the economic development argument for like, hey, this is a tourism thing for a lot of our smaller, more rural counties. Yeah, and the, used the to cover, I forgot, totally for remember it, uh, listeners, if you weren't aware, Bill, <laughs> Will used to be our beer writer, right? Some, some years ago, I guess. Or that I was, was a yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know um, maybe more about I, it than our know, Well, very well experienced in, you know, the drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And also, you know, the fun world of the legislature and how these things tend to not really yeah. move in one fell swoop, but just kind of... Yeah, move. every year there's yeah. a little bit, and usually what the proposal they roll out with, the privatization was sort of handled separately this year, but the original ABC deregulation law um, at the start of last year's session it was a lot more sweeping. It dealt with that issue of the, the private clubs where you have to pay a membership to go to a bar that only serves cocktails. Well, the big thing this session, though, was or this past session, was the um, beer and wine at college sporting events. That, yeah, I noticed that. that at PNC Arena and at Winter State. There was the yeah. sort of agreement between the wholesale groups and craft brewers over at what level, if you're distributing your own craft beer, do you have to engage with a wholesaler who's also selling, like, Miller Lite and stuff and distributing that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, just that you can sell it at all. I mean, yeah, that yeah the, the stadiums was, you know, 
College stadiums were dry. You, no, I mean, now it's like I went to an NC State basketball game at PNC and was like, oh, they serve alcohol here now. And they didn't, you know, but like, even though like I literally like sat in the house when they were like having the discussion about how many beers they could carry. Like, yeah. I remember, although our sports reporters are the ones that, that wrote that story. And then I was still like, oh, yeah, this is a thing. Yeah. So, and that one, fun fact, uh, the idea stemmed from uh, House Majority Leader John Bell's intern who is an NC State student and uh, probably is one of the most popular among his uh, friends at NC State now because he's one of the people who helped get this passed and make it so that you can buy a beer. Uh, you can buy beer, wine, I think hard seltzer is allowed um, at stadiums. Although some schools I've learned uh, UNC is not allowing, one of them, I think it was UNC was allowing wine and not beer, or one school was that beer and not wine. Um, so they've all created their own policies for this, and they vary a little bit as to what exactly you can drink. Um, well, that college student is looking out for 21 and older college students everywhere. I hope yeah. they got a cut or a scholarship. I don't think it works that way. <laughs> yeah, he'll probably have a good job in the lobbying industry when he graduates, or politics or something. So we probably won't see anything alcohol-related in the short session. Uh, Grady mentioned to me there might be something that there some much more minor... Um, alcohol-related stuff related to sort of the distribution aspect of it. He mentioned, and you go into a whole lot of detail about um, grocery store and Amazon doing sort of, you know, doorstep delivery. I mean, now you've got all these, these grocery stores that will take your whole cart of groceries and bring them to your door. So the question is, how do you handle, like, alcohol purchases along with that? Um, so I think that's something they may look into. Um, but the short session being is it should at least in theory be short, uh, means that they probably aren't going to do any any big heavy lifting. It's all going to be kind of this continuing this incremental steps towards looser alcohol regulations, but probably on a fairly minor scale at this point. There's something to be said for incremental steps on on certain things. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of incremental steps, it doesn't look like there's going to be any incremental steps. Um, that the um, Democrats in the session. Um, proposed two different gun regulation bills. One was sort of the omnibus of a whole bunch of stuff, and the other one was this red flag bill. And, you know, we've covered that over the past months, but it came up again recently uh, with this, um, that one and done session, which will, by the way, was our, well, we can talk at the end about who was our headliner of the week winner last year that you all, or last week, that you all <laughs> voted on. Um, but the 50 members of, of the Republican House Caucus I'll sign this letter um, that Representative Keith Kidwell wrote, basically supporting those in Virginia that are upset about the uh, proposed and new gun regulations there uh, as the House, um, the House and Senate majorities and, and control of the legislature in Virginia changed. Um, they're worried about that. And so I talked to them. We talked about this a little bit briefly in our last uh, Domecast. And then I talked recently to our two Republican uh, gubernatorial primary candidates, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest and Representative Holly Grange, who both support the Second Amendment. And both of them are, are content with where our state gun laws stand. And it seems that uh, as long as the Republican majority, that that's not going to change on any state law level. And the Second Amendment sanctuaries are just more as we've covered before, kind of symbolic. It's, it's not going to change anything, but it doesn't look like there will be, that proposed legislation in the past isn't, isn't going to move anywhere. And I think it, I think it, from what I've heard and talking to people is it really comes down to, do you think policy is the answer 
to if you think gun regulation, those that think gun regulation is a response to mass shootings and and what you should do for gun violence um, prevention, and they think policy and, and laws are the answer to that. The Democrats usually that support it, and Republicans just don't think policy is the answer there. I'm sure you guys have seen kind of some of the same as far as where laws are, where, where people yeah. stop. Do you think there's any I mean, difference that you could see in interviewing Dan Forrest and Holly Grange as to their approach to gun control and gun rights? Are they pretty much 100% on the same page about? I asked them both, I interviewed them both recently for our primary coverage, um, and we talked just a little bit about it. And I, I did ask each of them about um, gun insurance, because that was part of that sort of overall bill that um, the Democrats had put forth this last session. And no, I mean, they both of them are, are just fine with where our, our state laws are now and think they're different. Um, you know, for, for mass shootings, there are different ways in keeping guns out of the hands of people that would do harm. And that doesn't mean um, it should be it should be more laws and that they feel like the Second Amendment is, um, you know, the Constitution. Uh, you know, a lot of people will say, of course, is a living document. That's why we have amendments and everything. And um, but as far as like your strict interpretation of, of word for word of what it means, um, of course, we don't have a militia now, but. Um, and and what any sort of encroaching on your rights is, um, and the and the form of that. So somebody who is for lots of gun regulations, maybe a gun gun owner that thinks gun insurance should be required, and that everyone should have a permit, and everything should be registered, and and they feel like that is still giving them their right to be a gun owner and do that. But then other gun owners think that no, you know, you you putting this is infringing on my ability to. Um, to arm myself and defend myself if I want to. And I really think it's just comes along the line of just how you how you view that. Yeah, I think it's, it's to the extent there's any change here, it will be because it'll be just like Virginia. If, if Democrats are in control of both the governor's office and mm-hmm. both branches of the legislature, you'll see some pretty substantial gun control measures come down the pipeline and pass. Um, and you'll see a big backlash out of the rural communities, as you see in, in Virginia um, and the folks on the conservative side. Um, but until that happens, I mean, nothing's really going to change here. But I, I do get the sense that this whole push towards Second Amendment sanctuary designations at the county level, particularly in a lot of the more rural and suburban counties in the state, really does stem from just proximity to Virginia. Feeling <coughs> like what's happening in Virginia, you know, legislation-wise, could easily be here in the future, and so they want their um, local officials to sort of be on record as how they stand. Of course. It's kind of meaningless in any state because the state makes the laws. Um, if you know a local government doesn't want to follow a state law, there's really no recourse it has. Like they just have to follow it, or the state can kick everybody out of office if that's what they want. Yeah, to do. too bad. I yeah. mean, like you can you know say what you want, and but too bad. I mean, yeah. you still have to follow the state law. That's that's just the yeah. So it's more about making a statement than really any sort of practical thing. It's it's telling their their legislators who who lives in their county, that there's this percentage of people that, that want, you know, this, here where we are in gun laws. Now, if you look at overall polling nationwide of what people think about gun laws, most Americans do think that um, they do support stricter gun laws. Most Americans are a higher percentage than um, support stricter gun laws or, you know, very happy with the Second Amendment. So. They, you can a lot of you can be both. Some people can be both, and some people, um, you know, just it's just a different, and it, it pretty much seems to fall generally along party lines and who's in control. 
And that's where the, the bills are ever even discussed in com committee, you know, much less moved out of it. Yeah, so sure. I can't see anything in the short session about it. I could see if um, Democrats take control and, you know, one of the chambers that they would um, put something forth and see how far they could get it. But again, if you if this is something that a majority of Democrats support and some Republicans, if they um, the Republican supporters are also the ones that prefer Second Amendment sanctuaries. Those voters aren't going to be happy with their representative. You know, they're like, we told you we did this and then you, you know, you're infringing on this. So um, I don't, you know, I don't see a lot of movement, not in North Carolina anyway, as far as any sort of change with, with where things are. I think it seems like pretty, people are pretty entrenched on either side of, of if they think the regulation and policy can have any impact on on gun violence or not, and if that's even something that should be considered a factor with our gun laws. All right, should we take a break and uh, get into headliner of the week of the fairly slow news week that was last week? It was such a slow news week. Yeah, so this will be a challenge for us to come with headliners, so uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, and we're back with headliner of the week. If y'all listened last time, you know that instead of voting or when Jordan Schrader, our editor, is here deciding, uh, we instead we've taken it to a Twitter poll and uh, through our Under the Dome Twitter account. And last time's winner was the one and done legislative session, which yeah. I believe is yes, Danielle's. <laughs> and, and the gun rights uh, rally in Virginia, which was mine, came in second, as in the Second Amendment. Yeah. Just had to make that joke. <laughs> Um, and Second then I don't remember the first which. Loser. <laughs> okay, so headliner of the week. So if, if y'all want to listen to each of our proposed headliners, and we'll make a Twitter poll with at under the dome, and we'll all retweet it, um, and then you can vote and tell us what you think was the headliner of the week. So first up, Danielle. So I'm picking Wally White, who brought a soap opera star to Rockingham County to help him with his campaign against uh, Phil Berger Senior. So, you know, it's different. It's unique. I've never heard of it before. It was a gospel brunch slash soap star picture. What soap opera? Guiding Light and Young and the Restless. Okay. Soap opera stars campaigning. Yeah. You, you, get, the 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 big, uh, you get the surrogates for the big names, but um, you rarely see it for a le legislative candidate bringing in celebrity endorsements especially since you know a, a long shot race yeah i mean yeah. You know, phil Berger generally doesn't have trouble uh winning his district but uh who maybe knows with some soap the, opera power, power of soaps. Yeah. and soap stars are up in arms this week because the impeachment has killed their viewage of soap opera so like he brought a little soap opera back to north carolina yeah. <laughs> now a soap opera well what do you got well speaking of impeachment and soap operas uh, I'm going to go with Richard Burr's socks. Uh, this is something that I think most people in North Carolina, at least who pay close attention to politics, have known for a while that Richard Burr's kind of famous for not wearing socks uh, in really the, you know, old Southern gentleman style. Um, but during the impeachment hearings, as he's been on TV a lot more, it has kind of went viral and then there was he like did a, that he his he put new profile pic right court artist drawing of him without socks um but then there was another news headline where it got too cold in the senate chamber so he had to you know break with tradition put on socks there's a whole like will they or I'm won't they kind of thing going on and you know just as you know we're dealing with this highly historic moment that was of course you know that's what people are talking about, not, you know, the actual facts, uh, but the socks. And fidget spinners. 
Yeah, fidget spinners there too. All right, Colin. All right, I'm going with um, a historical one this week. Uh, former NC Supreme Court Chief Justice Thomas Ruffin, who was in office a long, long time ago, um, but he is uh, getting some renewed attention uh, because he was a racist and he was a slave owner and he had some really problematic views that he put in some of his rulings, although he's praised for some of his others. Uh, so last week, uh, Orange County's courthouse decided they're gonna take down his portrait from the wall. Uh, he will no longer have a place of prominence and there's also some discussion uh, about his portrait at the North Carolina Supreme Court uh, as to whether or not to, to take that down. I think that's still yet to be decided, but for uh, giving us a history lesson and uh, a, a new way to grapple with the um, unfortunate history of North Carolina, uh, Thomas referenced my pick. All right, well, I'm gonna talk about something completely off topic from everyone else's. I'm sure you saw that the new logo for the Space Force was revealed. So mine is gonna be the US Space Program. And as I was thinking about the Space Force logo and how it looks like, um, the Star Trek logo and should be more Star Wars than Star Trek. That's just my personal opinion. Um, but I also realized that this week is the anniversary of the Space Shuttle Challenger explosion, which if you were alive then and I was a kid, I remember I was at home on a teacher work day um, and watching TV with my sister and seeing it. And that made a um, pretty big impression on my childhood. And also I, always been a big follower of the spatial program and I don't think it's biased to say I was disappointed when it ended um, but if you are ever in Northern Virginia and can go to the Air and Space Museum at Dulles you can see the space shuttle um, discovery oh my gosh is it discovery or discover anyway it is really awesome and when you walk in there and you're like oh my gosh it's a space shuttle um, it's just exciting so anyway my headliner of the week um, tied to the, you know, showing of revealing of the Space Force logo is our United States space program. All right. I guess Get that's it. Get us on uh, Twitter, vote on their picks and see which of us wins. Yeah, at, under the dome, we'll have that Twitter poll up by the time you're listening to this. And All right, Danielle wants your vote <laughs> for, what was it? The space? Soap opera. Space, right. Why are you on space? <laughs> space. So for Danielle Vitaglia, Will Doran, Colin Campbell, I'm Don Vaughn. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.